Welcome to the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast with Matthew Sardo. Take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ass. <laughs> Holy sh! They're actually monkeys fighting robots! You can follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots and on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. Make sure to download and review our podcast from iTunes and Stitcher. And now, here's your host, Matt. <laughs> Welcome to the first episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots. Can you tell I'm excited for this? I'm just... It's the first episode, Jitters. It's all in there. I'm just going to explode. There might not actually be an episode, too. But this episode is going to be packed with some amazing goodness. I saw Fast and the Furious 7, Furious 7, and I created a drinking game. And then later on, New York Mets legend Mookie Wilson joins us to talk about his book, Mookie, Life, Baseball, and the 86 Mets. Oh my God, they did a lot of drugs back then. Don't do drugs, kids. But first, I'm going to start the show off with my theory of how the Marvel and DC Universe should treat their fans and how they should deal with reboots and relaunches and all that crazy shenanigans that Dan DiDio and Joe Casada put us through. Okay, party people in the house. My theory on Marvel Comics and DC Comics and how they should treat the fans. Because we're going through reboots. I'm, I'm a little bit older than, I don't know if I'm older than the average fan, but I, you know, I'm, I'm getting up there in age. I'm past the 30 point. I've been reading comics since I was, I think, eight years old. So there was a reboot in the 90s. There was a reboot in the 2000s. And now we're, we're going through another reboot with the universe going on my theory right now and and let me know what you think of this theory is we should just lay some ground rules there's going to be a reboot because these are big companies and they're not trying to sell me comic books anymore because i'm getting old i'm eventually going to die they're trying to sell comic books to the eight-year-old mansardo and i understand that or the 12 year old or 15 year old or 22 year old they're trying to get the new fans on. So that's why you reboot them and you start at zero or one or wherever you start from there. And you go from there. So I understand the marketing model. But what I would like to see them do is lay ground rules. And my theory is that you give a series or a universe 10 years. And you announce that like, hey, this, the, the universe is starting now. And there is a ticking clock to the 10-year end run. And you know what this would do? This would create excitement about the launch of like, okay, how this is going to go and where's the big launch. And then 10 years from now, they're going to destroy the universe. And you can have all your crossovers in between and all this other stuff. But you just end it. You finish the story. Because that's the biggest issue that I have with comic books. And I'm mainly talking about DC and Marvel. Image Comics, you keep doing what you're doing. Boom, Dark Horse, IDW, if there was any minor publisher I forgot. I apologize, but you guys continue doing exactly what you're doing because you're doing it well. But 
as a fan of Amazing Spider-Man, they've rebooted that universe several times. And I'm not sure who's who or what's going on or what's in canon or what's not in canon or, or how it goes from there. And I, I currently, I, I can't really stand Amazing Spider-Man. That's not my Amazing Spider-Man. It, my Spider-Man, my Peter Parker ended with one more day. Once, once they dissolved the marriage and they, they started this brand new universe and, you know, having a conversation with the devil. And I can go on about that, but we're not. But we're not. But that's when my Spider-Man, that's when my Spider-Man ended and they've created this new Spider-Man. And I get that. But I would, there wasn't a definitive point in time. It just writers have kind of gone off in this tangent. And I much rather would have had a completed story that started 10 years ago and then ended. And I can just be like, look, I have my closure. I have my beginning, I have my middle, I have my end. And all the stories are wrapped up in one. And then we relaunched the universe. And this is a new Spider-Man that I could fall in love with. I could fall in love with and be like, oh, wow, I really like this one. And, and and then we can go with this story, and then there's just a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then it ends again, and then they start another one. And then what I like about this theory, because it's mine, you know, so I, 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 I like it, you can then compare generations. You can compare the 70s Spider-Man versus the 80s Spider-Man versus the 90s Spider-Man versus the 2000s Spider-Man. And then you can start going even deeper, and you can start like, okay, what was, what was going on? Were we at war? Uh, what was the social, economic impact on what's going on to get and then you can actually really create amazing content because we're all influenced by what's going on but when you self-contain it in that 10-year period you're really gonna see some more dynamics in there and just imagine on like where we can go with this i mean you could take some chances and then you, and then you could be like oh i really didn't like this it sucked and then like you you can always write your way out of this. You're like, oh, look, this was kind of the fake Spider-Man. Now we went to an alternate universe and brought another Spider-Man. It's kind of normal. Or whatever you wanted to do. But, like, at least there's, like, tell me the end of the story before you tell me the beginning again. And that's my biggest thing. That's that's that's, that's the biggest thing. Is that I need to be, I need, and, and when I say I, I mean we. We, as comic book fans, need a complete story. We're completists. It may not be the best story in the world, but at least we know that like we started it and we finished it. And if you think about it, 10 years, once a month, it's 120 issues. Or if you go bi-weekly, looking at 240. But I think if you got to that 200 mark within 10 years, I mean, that would be that's a good block of time to tell several amazing stories. And then you can reinvent those characters and be as creative as you want, as opposed to being... Like, oh, we got to remember that this happened there, this happened there, or how that happened. You can still, with my theory, respect what happened before, but then create something new. So that's my theory. So if Dan DiDio or Joe Casana are, are listening to this one, I, this is, I give this to you for free. Pardon me, Matt, but the monkeys are out of bananas. What do you mean we have no more bananas? I would suggest you go to a break. Hi everybody, Mark Hamill here, lifelong comic book fan, and I have four magic words for you. Free comic book day. It's coming up May 2nd, the first Saturday in May. Go to www.freecomicbookday.com to find a participating store near you. There's over 2,000 stores to choose from and so many titles available. Funny comic books, scary comic books, comic books based on your favorite cartoon characters, comic books based on your favorite TV show. And don't buy them over the internet. Where's the fun in that? You got to get out. 
experience the community that is the fan world and maybe see some titles you never dreamed that you wanted. And in the meantime, keep watching The Flash. There's some incredible episodes coming up, including my return as the trickster. So have a great free comic book day. Welcome back to the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast. When I was thinking about the first guest that I wanted on Monkeys Fighting Robots, I was looking at Stan Lee, Todd McFarlane, Barack Obama. I mean, there was nobody that wasn't on the table. But then I got this email. I was like, hey, do you want to interview interview this guy? He's got this book. It's coming out and everything. And I was like, I looked at the name and it instantaneously brought me back to being a nine-year-old because this was my childhood idol. I grew up in upstate New York. I was a Mets fan. I was nine years old when the New York Mets won the 1986 World Series. And there's one guy that has one of the most iconic film moments, baseball moments, whatever you want to call it, and that is Mookie Wilson. Mookie Wilson hit the ball through Bill Buckner's legs in Game 6 of the World Series, and then the 1986 Mets went on to win the World Series, and they were these over-the-top characters, Dale Strawberry, Dwight Gooden, Keith Hernandez, Gary Carter. I love saying Jesse Roscoe because we're just throwing him in the mix. But that was my whole world in 1986. And then when I started playing Little League, I wanted to be like Mookie Wilson. This was my guy. He was everywhere for me as a baseball fan, as a Mets fan. He played the game right. And... He has, again, he's probably got one of the top five moments in, in sports history is because of Mookie Wilson and because of Bill Buckner. And when I saw this email go, hey, do you want to you interview your childhood idol? I was like, hey, Stan Lee, Todd McFarlane, Barack Obama, I'm going to put you on the shelf. And I'm going to bring Mookie Wilson on because this is the guy that, this, is, this was my guy. Without further ado, we have Mookie Wilson now a New York Times best-selling author with his book, Mookie, Life, Baseball, and the 86 Mets. Mookie, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? Thank you. How's it feel to be a New York Times best-selling author? Uh, it's kind of, um, <laughs> it's, it's a little amazing because I didn't expect that. Um, I, I didn't do the book with the, you know, with, you know, trying to be a New York Times bestseller. It was something I felt I had to do. Um, that I needed to do at the time. So it's all worked out great. So that means, hey, someone must love reading about it. That's great. What new material did you add to the to your book, Mookie, Life, Baseball, and the 86 Mets? Well, we added a chapter, and the chapter basically just, um, since I am a, a first-time author, and the, the boot tour experience and stuff, I thought it would be interesting for people to, uh, you know, to read my experiences and, and, and how I felt and, and, and how it all went. And a little bit about more about you know, where I'm going from here. And I think that, that the afterward is what we call it. Is um, it's going to be an interesting read for people just to give a little more detail on what Wilson has done since the book has been released. If social media was around in '86, what do you think would have happened to the Mets? Oh man, I mean that's very that, that's tough to say because I, I think that um, you know the club probably would have been a little different. Uh, I think that the players would have been a little. A uh, little subtle, you know, a <laughs> little subtle, uh, because, you know, I don't think that you can do the things that, you know, the team did back then and, and, and get away with it without everyone world knowing. So uh, I 
privacy is, is was not going to be there, so it would have changed their attitudes of the players. I don't think that their personalities would have changed, but I think it would have been a little more, uh, a, a little, how you say it, uh, a little more respectful, you know, of, of their appearance in, uh, in public. What do you think of the game today? I think the game is in great shape. Um, I think financially it shows. I think that their fans are coming out to the game. I think that the game is, uh, even though it is doing very well, I think there's some things that needs to be fixed, and they have tried fixing the time of the games on TV um, by you know, having this, this time, you know, stepping in the box and time between pitches and stuff. I, all that's well and good. I, I think that we have to change our, our attitudes really toward the, 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 the game and the fans um, have to really do something to kind of get the fans more interested in the game, um, the average fan. You know, so how do we do that? I think we need to bring back some day games, you know, particularly on Saturdays. So God, people can come to the game on Saturday and watch games. You know, the day game is hard to find right now. Sundays, nah, you might get one on Sunday, but other than that, nothing. What advice do you have for future ball players? It's very tough to advise them because when we played baseball, it was mostly, it wasn't a career choice. We didn't look at baseball as being a career choice. Now baseball, kids are training now at eight, nine years old. You know, preparing to play major league baseball. See, that wasn't the case with most of the players in my my era. And um, the advice I would say is, you know, make sure his is still a game, and I think you need to have fun in it, and 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 do those things. Learn the game as opposed to being specialized in one position early at the age of ten or twelve years old. What moment of your baseball career are you most proud of? Oh man, um, oof, there, there, there's just so many things that has happened um, over the years. I think that getting to the World Series and, and actually um, making it through it and actually winning it, because there's so many ball players, great ball players, even Hall of Famers, that hasn't won a World Series. They even haven't been in a World Series. And to get them one and accomplish that much, I think is a great accomplishment. What was the hardest part of writing your book? Deciding what to put in the book and what to leave out. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many things that I had to leave out because it just wasn't part of what I wanted to do. Um, um, I didn't want to do a baseball book about baseball stats and all that. I didn't care for all of that. It was about delivering a message and um, deciding what to put in there that would get that job done was the hardest part. Mookie, thank you so much for your time. All right, thank you. Mookie Wilson, everyone. His book is Mookie, Life, Baseball, and the 86 Mets. I'm sure all our listeners that have Amazon Prime could order it today and get it shipped to you by a drone tomorrow. Okay, Lunchbox, let's try this again. The Fast and Furious franchise is at number seven. Furious 7 in theaters and in IMAX this week. I saw the film in IMAX, and my one recommendation to you is that you play the family drinking game. Whenever a character in Furious 7 says the word family, whether it be in Spanish or English, you take a drink of whatever tasty beverage that you have on your person. Nowadays, you can actually buy it in the counter in a movie theater. Sometimes you sneak it in, whichever way you work. I'm not, again, it's not my business. It's not my business. But you take a drink when you hear the word family. And if you do, you will end up in the hospital with alcohol poisoning because they say the word family about 15 million times. With that said, this over-the-top 
cartoonish, obnoxious action film, which I'm usually a fan of, has one redeeming factor. And I'm really surprised when these words are going to come out of my mouth, is that one redeeming factor is Tyrese Gibson. He was the Joker, and they even label him the Joker in this film. But his lines were perfect, and they broke up the -the over-the-top cartoonish action and really, really bad lines with comedic humor. And Tyrese Gibson must have been honing in on his inner Chris Tucker because those screams and the cries and the whining were were perfect. And the crowd that I saw the film was was laughing as well. And, And it just hit every time he came on screen and whatever he said, it was perfect timing. So that's that's the well-written part. And it was also perfect timing on the acting chops of how they they kicked it in and, and his facial expressions and what was going on. I can't believe I'm saying this. That I, I The best part of Fury 7 was Tyrese Gibson. The second best part of the film was the tribute to Paul Walker. And that's where I think they, they mellowed everything out. There was no over-the-topness. It was just, hey, this is our friend. He passed away. We're really upset, and we want to send him off on the best note possible. And since we're in film, we can show this. We can show this film to you, to millions and millions of people around the world, and be like, "Listen, we love this guy, and this is this is how much we love him." Because we're going to show you how much in a giant IMAX screen and in the theater. And and I was really impressed. And and there was. It was very sentimental. It was just it hit on all the right notes and, and it, it, it tugged at the heartstrings and they did it really well. For me, Fast and Furious was a success because they did what I thought they couldn't do and they, they actually made me laugh and they made me cry in a film that was over the top crazy cartoonishness. If you're a fan of the franchise, go see it. Enjoy your film franchise. And if you're not, it's it'll be hit and miss. It'll be hit and miss where you'll be like, that was over the top too much, too little, whatever you want to call it. It's going to make a shit ton of money, and they're going to make another film, and there'll be another one after that, and, and they'll reboot it, and they'll go with whatever they want. So go have your popcorn time. Hey, Matt, we survived another episode. Oh, no! <laughs> Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. The biggest compliment we can receive is when the subscriber number goes up on SoundCloud. And don't forget, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. There are so many people that make this show possible. Thank you to New York Mets legend Mookie Wilson for joining us. Jeff Shade is the amazing mix master that created our intro. Jessica Wynn up in Chicago designed the Monkeys Fighting Robots logo. And the staff at Visual Realm built our website. And then there's my wife that yelled at the screen the whole time during Piranha 3D. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you for joining us for this episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots.
to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.